Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You play to win the game. You damn well better if it's the NFC title game. Man, what a contest we got coming up this Sunday. And Herm was great. He was fantastic. And yeah, you got to go about playing two different games if you're playing Debo Samuel or A.J. Brown. They are kind of different cats. Oh, they're, I mean, Debo Samuel is unlike most wide receivers in football because he's basically the reverse image of Christian McCaffrey, which is he's a wide receiver who's probably more dangerous running the ball. And Christian McCaffrey is a running back who might be more dangerous catching it. Or is it the other way around at times? I mean, the fact that he can play both sides of that coin just shows you how versatile he really is. Because there are days he looks like he might even be better as a running back than a wide receiver. Like I said, it's Brandon Ayuk, I think, is this team's true you know, starting wide receiver in terms of what are you expecting from a wide receiver this afternoon? Yeah, but that's a traditional role, and there's really almost nothing about this offense other than the offensive line that is traditional. It's, they do, they work backwards to get the same results that the other elite offenses get. And it's an offense in which the quarterback is not the most important figure, but maybe third or fourth. And in the other three teams that are at this rate, you could you could say flat out that yeah, quarterback, 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 quarterback. The, quarter, the quarterback defines how you play. On this team, the quarterback doesn't define how you play. He could screw up, but you could still overcome it. Or he could be very good, and you could still lose. I mean, that's the thing about Kyle Shanahan and how he's sort of recreated the position. He's basically said, I can't get my hands on an elite quarterback. There's only about four or five of those, and I don't have any of them. So I'm going to make a system in which I don't need my quarterback to be elite or to do elite things. I just need him to do what I need him to do and do it well over and over and over again. And I think that's the thing that impresses most objective observers about Purdy, is that he hasn't come in with big eyes. He hasn't shown, really, except the one thing about you know running to his left and throwing. He hasn't shown a real physical um, inability to do any one thing. I mean, he's not going to beat you with the strength of his arm. What he's going to do, at least on this team, is beat you with knowing the offense and running it the way he's told to run it. 
saying he's played mistake-free football would be an exaggeration because there have been a couple of interceptions. If you're willing to say, hey, you know, interceptions happen when you're throwing the ball. The real sin in a quarterback turnover is the fumble. The fumble because the ball was stripped from you as you were looking to evade some contact. The fumble because you had a bad center quarterback exchange. Brock Purdy has not fumbled the football yet. A few interceptions, but he's not turned it over yet. And look, he's, he's, he's been perfect. He's 7-0 and as a starter. Is it all him? Of course not. But two playoff wins in scenarios where rookies normally go down in flames... He's really been something else. This is only the third road start, though, for Brock in his career. He played up at Seattle. He played in Las Vegas. And getting the feeling for this one on the road early is what he and Kyle have been talking about. This is from his press conference today. Brock Purdy. You know, when we played Seattle that week and everything, he, he did say it was good preparation for what, you know, we were um, or what we might have to, you know, play in in terms of the playoffs, you know, going on the road for road games and obviously for Philadelphia. And it's just every, like everything, you know, in, the, in these kind of games is all about communication. How can you operate smoothly, get, get in and out of the huddle, get the playoff in the right way, make sure everyone's on the same page. So it's definitely a big uh, emphasis this week, just at practice with the little things, the details of uh, communicating and being on, on, on point. Um, and that starts with the cadence. So it's going to be huge for us. Get your cadence right. Get your language right. Be able to go on a silent count all day. Make sure everyone in the huddle is able to hear you. I mean, that is going to be the biggest problem. Once they get to the line of scrimmage, it all has to be nonverbal communication. It's just how loud that place is going to be. But make sure you get that play in from the sideline in your own ear and then get it out to everyone and get it out right. Communicating in the huddle is going to be huge. A huge part of this game for the 49ers. And if you see if you see Brock Purdy and this offense taking early delays of games, there's an early sign. You could be in trouble this afternoon. Yeah, they've got to I think almost throw on a quick count early on. Uh and it's not the way they tend to like to play, but if you're worried about the crowd, it's hard for the crowd to build up a momentum if you're not standing behind the center for 8 to 10 seconds. And the, the next thing is run a play that gets yards. If you can do that, I think, you know, Sal Palantonio and Herm Edwards both said it right. If, if you get first downs, they get quiet and they start paying attention to the game instead of paying attention to seeing if they can make you pee yourself. And that's, you know... It seems obvious, and I'm sure, you know, that's what he's been told, but it's not a question of teaching. It's I mean, they already know that. It's a question of doing it. And against this Eagle team, they make you uncomfortable in ways that the crowd alone can't. And that's, I think, what the, the home field advantage is. The tale of the tape, the keys to the matchup, 888-957-9570. Speak now or forever, not I would say forever hold your peace. We're going to be talking about this game until it kicks off basically here. But we got keys, we got matchups, we got Niners and Eagles, we got skills in Vallejo. You're on 95.7 The Game. Hello. Hey, Damon. Hey, Ray. It's good to be on with you again. Uh, you know, I'm, I haven't called in a while. I'm sorry about that. But I have been listening to just about everyone 
of the Damon Arvado shows. And I just called today because, you know, too many of the talking heads I'm watching are not giving the 49ers proper credit or a fair shot against the Eagles. So, most are, but some aren't. Uh, I just want to uh, listen. In, two, in 2010, if you'll recall, San Francisco played Philadelphia in the postseason. Philadelphia had the best record in the league that year. And so in the eyes of many, San Francisco had no chance. But as you'll also recall, the Phillies ended up going home while the Giants went on to win the championship. And I just want to, you know, the 49ers have just as much chance to beat the Eagles. And I know Jalen Hurts, 14-1 and 13 touchdowns, blah, blah, blah. They're a great team. They've done a lot of great things, but they are not invincible. This is not Peyton Manning against Rex Grossman. And America needs to give us more of a fair shot. That being said, the Niners cannot afford to have a repeat of what happened in last year's championship game with Jaquaski Tart dropping gift interceptions. And it happened again. You know, both teams had it happening in the Cowboys game last week. Turnovers were right there to be had. They missed them. If Philly wants to turn the ball over, we've got to let them. And, you know, you just cannot have butterfingers. Defenders have the worst hands now than they've ever had in my whole 30 years plus watching NFL football. And I like the patent machine that could simulate, you know, tip passes from quarterbacks so they can practice getting a handle on those balls. I don't have resources to do that, unfortunately. But, um, oh, and one more thing before I get off the phone, let somebody else get on. Niners, if, if Jalen Hurts is scrambling in the end zone, waiting to be tackled, tackle him. Do not stare at him, please. Peace out. <laughs> Eric Armstead even talked about he hated the fact he whiffed on Dak when he was basically looking at, you know, safetyville if he just decided to cut him in half. But, uh, yeah, you, you get your arms around Jalen Hurts, you got to bring him down. You get your hands on a football, you better come down with it. You don't need to be perfect. But you cannot be off your game and expect to win this game on the road. It's just that simple. you got to make plays when they present themselves. Period. And that's what good teams do. That's why the 49ers, who have been making a lot of plays when they present themselves, have a 12-game winning streak. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and the one thing that we started the show with, and I kind of want to return to it, what we have, if you listen to some people trying to handicap this game, is the first ever NFC title game between two teams that haven't played anyone all year long. Yeah, I mean, it's nuts. It's nuts that people are saying, well, the 49ers they haven't played anybody this year. Well, uh, okay, I also thought it was in any given Sunday league and anybody could beat anybody at any time. And a 10-game winning streak to close out a regular season is impressive no matter who it comes against, no matter how it's served up. Well, Brock Purdy hasn't played any elite team so far. Okay, and he is perfect, which is all you can be against the schedule that's been put in front of you. You know, well, the Eagles, you know, they, yeah, the NFC East was a division that basically had all teams around or above 500, and that was, you know, maybe the most competitive, tightest division in all of football. But, man, the Eagles still haven't played anybody. Well, these two teams that haven't played anybody have just kicked the rear end of everybody that they have played to clearly be the two best teams left in the conversation that this conversation could even spit out in an NFC title game. Um, here's the thing. People are basing this analysis on looking at the standings and seeing that the 49ers had the lowest strength schedule of any team in football this year. And they're also looking at, well, they just they got to blow people out because everybody was lousy. Because the, the they are second and third in point differential. It doesn't take a lot of research to look at that. But it's also irrelevant at this point. 
it doesn't matter who they played. It only matters who they're playing now because they got through the part of the schedule where they could have gotten one and done. So, yeah, if the 49ers didn't play anybody and they end up winning a Super Bowl, nobody's going to say, well, your parade route has to be shorter because you got to play the Cardinals twice. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it doesn't work that way anymore. You can, you can make a case that that's an important stat if you're trying to measure how they're going to do in week 16. But even then, you know, by then, your job is not to get style points. The job is to collect wins. And they, they got 13 of them. You know, and they got two more in games where you're playing with real chips. And that's ultimately the truth. I mean, it's just nobody worries about strength schedule in any other sport. It just it's because there are so few games people think that matters. And it only matters in the fictional world world where you're trying to compare two teams with disparate styles. You know, well what does this mean? How, how can how can the 49ers compete with Kansas City? Well, we have a we have something to go on there because they played each other. The Eagles and 49ers haven't played each other. So you're left with stuff that you can't really... It's like grabbing bubbles. Well, you're trying to you measure what you might do against that team based on what teams did against common opponents. And that is just... But, there are no... There's nothing but false positives when you start trying to break a game down that way. Yeah, I mean, you can only really look at, well, how did they look against a team that gave your opponent trouble? And even then, you're relying on what is really a largely mythical trust in your own ability to break down tape. There's about 15 people on the planet who can break down tape and really know it that work in the media. Were you grinding some tape last night? No. You couldn't get me to grind tape at gunpoint. You grind your teeth? Oh, very much so. But that has nothing to do with football. Look, and, and it's, 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 it's something to fill time in the 165 hours between the end of the last game and the start of the next one. You know, and by Wednesday, you're sick of it. Friday's show is going to suck because of that. No, I'm it's ready. Just, I'm done. I don't want to hear another word about it. I'm ready. Well, if you're ready now, then you'll be too ready on Friday. Trust me on this. More ready. There's no such thing as too ready. There most certainly is. No. You no, can this, practice too much. Isn't one of those, you know, boxer that is overtrained. We're sitting down. We'll be fine. This is exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Look, playoff road wins are hard for any quarterback at any level of their experience. It's doubly hard for young quarterbacks to go and win on the road. That's what makes this such a big ask of Brock Purdy. It's why Joe Burrow is being looked at as so special. And Patrick Mahomes has been able to win at home because the AFC title game has basically turned into the Arrowhead Invitational. You know, he, 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 he's, he's playing all those games at home. Joe Burrow is on the road beating good teams every time you look up in the postseason. It's why... You know, I, I'll say Pete Schrager is not a prisoner of the moment NFL network broadcaster. I know he's been handed like, hey, do this segment because we need a little traction on this segment. And today his segment was, you know, could Joe Burrow with this win become regarded as the best quarterback in football? 
knowing damn well that Patrick Mahomes fits the bill of best quarterback in football better than anyone. But the amount of straight-up ownage over the other, how could you make the argument that Mahomes really is better than Burrow if Burrow has four consecutive wins against them with three of them coming at Arrowhead Stadium? It just that's a hard argument to make. And it's also ridiculous that we see the last thing and try to use that to define a career. But Joe Burrow, should he reach this Super Bowl again, Ray, has sidled up to Patrick Mahomes conceptually as much as anyone could ever have anticipated when he was picked number one overall by Cincinnati. But that's us trying to grade arguments. The fact is, Cincinnati has won those games. Quarterback wins and losses. Is among the stupidest statistics there are. Right, but here are and two no, guys no, no, let me who finish. really are let me outliers. My fini- let, me my, let me finish my point, though. What's happened in Cincinnati is that Burrow is part of four great offensive players who have been drafted. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon. Burrow is the fourth. And I'm not talking about in order of importance. That unit has beaten Kansas City's offense four times in a row. I don't break it down to quarterback any more than I would break down, well, Cincinnati's wide receivers are much better than Kansas City's. That's not, to me, what makes this an argument. I mean, Cincinnati's defense deserves a little credit for slowing down Kansas City. No, and I I was about to get to that. That's the point. When you focus on quarterbacks, you start to lose the essence of why games are won and lost. Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes are basically, it's a matter of personal opinion. They are that close. You can say that Burrow's better than Mahomes, and it's hard to, it's hard to condemn somebody for having that argument any more than it is to say, oh no, Mahomes is better than Burrow. Two years ago, that was not an argument. Now, you can look at them and you see the results that their teams have gotten and said, these guys are the rivals of the, of the moment. They are the Manning and Brady. And that, to me, is a compelling statement to make. Who's better than whom is a nonsense argument that Peter Schrager was forced to make by an evil producer who should be taken out in the woods and beaten. Because Peter Schrager knows that it's a meaningless argument. Because Joe Burrow's not going to win Sunday. Patrick Mahomes isn't going to win Sunday. Either Cincinnati or Kansas City is going to win Sunday, and it's going to have a lot more to do with a lot more players than just those two guys. There is... Uh, to me, it's not a crime to focus on the outstanding quarterback play that both the Bengals and the Chiefs truly do offer as much as it wasn't a crime to focus on just the absurdity that we had an NFL playoff game this year featuring Geno Smith versus Brock Purdy. Who would have ever thought? You could kind of see Burrow, Mahomes, or maybe Josh Allen crash that party, but it felt like of those three... Two will be meeting in the NFC or in the, excuse me in the AFC title game where uh, no one would have had a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's going to be Jalen Hurts coming off a near MVP season going against Brock Purdy. What's amazing is that it's not the first time that these two guys have actually played each other. Brock Purdy talked about a meeting that they had between the two of them in college where the Cyclones rallied furiously 
to go for two and the W only to see Oklahoma blitz Brock Purdy. He picked, got picked off, and it was 42-41 Sooners. And Brock Purdy lost a game against Jalen Hurts when Hurts was at Oklahoma and he was at Iowa State. And Purdy had thrown for six touchdowns that day. He was asked about it at his press conference this afternoon. You know, obviously there was a lot of points scored. You know, it was almost like you had to score every single time you had the ball almost. Um, different situation and scenario than what we're about to do, go through, you know, on uh, Sunday. But it was a fun college game. It was a great experience to go against, you know, Jalen. And they had a great team and, and he was making plays and stuff. And I feel like we had to do the same to keep up and stay alive in that game as well. But, you know, this is a different situation, you know, different scenario. Look, I, I, I don't see 83 points Sunday in Philadelphia, Ray. If I said it at 83, you'd probably take the under two, right? I'd take the under at 43. <laughs> I think this is going to be a brutally difficult game. In fact, when Sal Palantonio said this reminds him a little bit of Giants 49ers, he was talking about the game in 1990 that ended 15-13 with only one touchdown between the two teams. I could easily see it be that. I mean, the weather is not going to be a factor as far as I know, but I think those two defenses will do a lot more of the dictating than the offense as well. Look, that Eagles defensive line has 75 sacks on the season, just the D-line alone. They had five last week. In the middle of that line, Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, and Milton Williams have to love what the Dallas Cowboys put on tape for them last week. And it wasn't until Banks... Brendel and Burford got their acts together at halftime that the 49ers really started moving the football with any level of consistency in the running game or what little they did move it in the passing game. And Sal even pointed out, you know, Aaron Andrews got that out of Kyle Shanahan at halftime where he said his middle of his offensive line's got to start playing better football right now. And the Eagles are just, they're looking at that Cowboys game tape and they're licking their chops thinking that's the attack point. We had just got to get into Purdy's knees all afternoon, and that's how we win this game. They have to make them throw the ball. Because if you make them throw the ball, you can push him to the left. And that, I think, is suddenly, that's the first sign that we've seen that a defense has seen enough of Purdy to know he's not good at doing X. I think that the 49ers, you know, I think they they may very well do what they did last week, which is throw early, and then try to run late, but they have to get a lead to do that. That's the thing. Both these teams are going to try to front run. Both of them. Well, all teams try to front run, but I think it's going to make more of a difference here because those three offensive linemen that you referred to, they were they were pass blocking in the first half. That's not their strength. They are they are a run blocking front line. The only guy who's really adept at doing both is Trent Williams. The other four are clearly better run blockers than pass blockers. And so when they were throwing the ball in the first half, more than they were running it, they were exposed. And if they do that again, I think they'll be exposed again. Because Philadelphia's defensive line is every bit as good and maybe a little bit better than Dallas's. Well, They're not as good against the run. So Kyle Shanahan has a choice to make. Do I open with the run and try to grind this game from the start? Can we do that? Or do I use misdirection and try to throw early and then run later? Because with the 49ers, more than any other team, I think, it's all about pace and tempo. They like it slower. They like it more deliberate. 
and they like it where they've got the ball and the other guy doesn't. Debo Samuel talked about how last week and the struggles that this team had against Dallas is good money in the bank for Brock Purdy going into Philadelphia. They're pretty fast. Uh, they D-line uh, try to time the snap cadence a good bit. Uh, you know, that they they kind of hone themselves on getting off the ball and getting, getting after the quarterback. Me, personally, I kind of think they kind of, last week, kind of s- settled pretty down a little bit because that's probably the, the best defense we faced all year with from top to bottom, from D-line to the backers to the safety about how fast the how fast that team is. And I think it kind of calmed Purdy down, and I feel like he'll be ready this week to go. Hopefully he is ready to go because he's going in this game, whether he's ready or not, this summer starts at noon our time on Sunday. Debo also talked about how memory lane of big games isn't exactly a you know warm, fuzzy one with the Super Bowl loss, of course, still ringing in a lot of people's ears along with last year's NFC title game defeat. Not just from last year, but I just I could just go back to you know um, my rookie year making the Super Bowl and just you still just have that bad taste in your mouth and as you go back to last year, you know we were a couple of plays to making the Super Bowl again and you just kind of like dang like what's it really going to take for us to get there? We just have to minimize the mistakes and everybody have to be on their assignment for us to be where we want to be at the end of the year. Hat on a hat, it's got to be big boy football this Sunday. Josh Dubow, by the way, had this on Twitter a day or two ago. The NFC Championship game with Brock Purdy against Jalen Hurts is the 10th playoff game in the Super Bowl era where both starting quarterbacks are going to be younger than the age of 25. This is the first time it has ever happened after the divisional round. So there's never been this young of a combined age of quarterbacks in a championship game. In the history of football. And yet the 49ers were chronologically the oldest team in football this year. Yeah, not by much, though. I saw that no, they were, they, they were, but then the youngest team in football is only like two and a half years younger than the Niners. But in terms of experience, you see that. I mean, they have more sort of veteran guys. Well, they have more continuity than most yeah. teams, teams and, have. You know, I mean, and there is a point, and I don't know that they've reached it yet, where that becomes a true liability because the grind of football starts to make your body tell you to stop doing this. And within two years, they might have to rebuild completely just because of that. I mean, I don't know how much longer Trent Williams is going to be the best tackle in football. Might be six weeks. It might be five years. But, you know, every added year, your chances go down and go down precipitously. Look, I don't want to get into any off-the-field conversation about Charles and Menahue, Um because we don't know what happened. We weren't there when he was arrested for misdemeanor dire- uh, domestic violence and then let go on bail. And certainly, you know, all are innocent until proven guilty. And Kyle Shanahan was asked about Charles and Menahue today and said... Um, well, we've looked into for the last 24 hours or 48 hours, not necessarily myself, but other people. We feel very good letting the legal process take care of itself and don't feel we shouldn't kick them off our team at this time. Okay, so we're going to let the wheels of the law turn here. And we also sat down, got his side of the story and are comfortable, sounds like playing him this weekend, which beyond what happened that might have disqualified him from playing, him being out on the field, Ray, 
is an important piece for the 49ers' chances to win this game. Charles Menahue has been very good to the point where he's maybe their fifth, their sixth best player on that defense in this postseason so far. He has been making huge plays in both games. He's made more plays against the opposite team's quarterback than Nick Bosa has. So, Amenahue has put himself in a very awkward situation and conversely put his team in a slightly awkward situation. What would be incredibly awkward is the Niners trying to go to win this game without him. That's how that's how important he's been the last couple weeks. Yeah, he's basically a football player until the moment that the law says, you don't get to be a football player now, you get to be a defendant in a trial. So, I think... In terms of his legal issues, they really are sort of back burner stuff for the moment. He'll have to address them at some point, but I think for right now, the 49ers are treating him like a football player because the law says he can still be one. And I think that's sort of where we have to leave it for the moment. A little love coming in for that Herm Edwards interview, saying it was excellent. He's good. Guy's a talker for sure. Sal Palantonio was fantastic also today. Uh, we've got a little bit to return to just in terms of yesterday's Hall of Fame vote, because if not for us bringing it up today, it'll officially be old news by tomorrow. We also got ourselves a Warriors Wednesday with the Memphis Grizzlies in town. And we got one more cut to get back to Bob Myers and what his future might look like. But first, Gene in Oakland. Gene, thanks for the call. You're on with Damon and Ratto. What do you got? Hey, fellas. Thanks for taking my call. So I wanted to raise the issue with a point that's been made actually a couple of times in the last hour. <clears throat> Excuse me. First by that analyst. I forget his name, but uh, who was, you know, he was great. And then also by, by you, Ray that, uh, you know, a weakness of, of Brock is, is going to his left and trying to throw. Uh, first of all, you know, any right-handed quarterback under pressure going to his left is going to have a problem. You know, anyone, let's say, besides uh, Pat Mahomes. But uh, to me, the biggest throw in that last game was the one he made when he went left. Granted, he wasn't under a lot of pressure, but he had to turn and quickly throw across the field to George Kittle. And I believe that was for around 32 yards, and I believe that was a play that set him up for that uh, game-securing, uh, ultimately uh, game-securing uh, field goal. So, um, so far, I'm not seeing any really noticeable weakness in this kid. And, and, and in terms of the other, and one more point, you're saying that, uh, Ray, you were saying that, you know, if the, if the crowd is loud, if they're coming after him, if they're getting to him, putting tremendous pressure on him, then he's done, and I'm not even sure of that. He was under a lot of pressure that first playoff game. He was playing in the rain. The ball was wet. Uh, you know, it was, uh, and he was his timing was off. And then he came back and put up what 25 points in the second half. So I mean, this is a special player, special quarterback, uh, making special plays, and uh, I I have total trust in him. Well, all I'm saying is, if he does let the crowd affect him, he's done. I'm not saying he's done simply by existing in Philadelphia. I'm saying if he lets the crowd get in his head, uh, as it would be for any quarterback. I mean, if, if Joe Montana let you know other other crowds get in his head, he would not have been nearly as good. So, I mean, I, I just think that's a given. That shouldn't be even remotely 
It's not a controversial statement. And no, yes. If you if you're afraid of the crowd, you won't thrive. Yeah, I, I really broke new ground there. Look, Shanahan is talking about the fact that going on the road is a different animal, and then going on the road in the playoffs is an even different. More, more different of an animal than just going on the road in the first place. Kyle Shanahan. I mean, that was huge just because that was their first game really all year that it was that important. And it was, Brock kind of had experience with it. And um, so it was great to have that, especially with us going to Philly. I remember us talking about that. We needed that rep in case we ended up in the NFC Championship at Philly. And we got that. And I'm very fortunate that we did. And I feel we're good to go. He knows what to expect. He knows how we do it. And um, we'll give him reps at it all week. But he got it ready on just a Wednesday when he played Thursday. So there won't be an issue this week. So, look, what we have coming up tonight is another rep for the Golden State Warriors against the Memphis Grizzlies. It is the probably delivered earlier than anyone expected burgeoning rivalry. Well, it was a year ago anyways because of some shared bad feelings over the Dylan Brooks foul. Uh, it was not a basketball play, according to Steve Kerr. Um, it broke the code is exactly what it, the, the quote was. The, the breaking of the code, which broke, you know, uh, Gary Payton the second there for a little bit. And there, there's, there's nothing but hard feelings and dislike between these two teams. That, that's obvious when they play now. The Grizzlies are coming in. A little frosty, right? They're they're 0-3 on this road trip with losses to the Lakers, the Suns, and the Kings. They do get their leader, John Morant, back tonight. Steven Adams is out, and he is, you know, clearly a a a problem for the Warriors. He's so big in the middle, and he's a little bit of an enforcer for them. So maybe the Warriors are, you know, getting their teeth ready and sharpened for this team. Draymond was talking about Memphis, trying to say, you know, they, they haven't quite done enough to be our rival. You know, there's never any shortage of bulletin board material. Everybody's trying to build it up to, like, be some rivalry. I don't think they've accomplished enough yet for us to consider it a rivalry, but it's always a great game, and it's one of those games that you're going to get up a little bit more than some other game. It's not the cliche, or every game is the same. It's not that. It's a big game. It's a fun game to play in. We know they're going to come and bring the best out of us. We're going to bring the best out of them. And it should be a good game. Ultimately, I always feel like, you know, I always say if we play our a good game, they play a good game, we win the game. We play our best, they play their best, we win the game. Draymond Green, his podcast on the Volume Network. And look, here's the deal. The hammer and the nail are not rivals. I think Memphis is a lot more than just a nail. And the Warriors ain't quite the hammer that they used to be. And if Memphis believes that this is a rivalry, well, that's the level of belief a young up-and-coming team needs to take on a team like the Golden State Warriors. And how the Warriors think about it is irrelevant. If Memphis thinks this game means a lot to us, then it's a, it, it, it's a rivalry for them. Which, given the fact sometimes energy is an issue for the Warriors, means they might be in a little bit of trouble tonight. As Memphis is coming in with their best player back healthy again, pissed off about their road trip, and just you know enough sound there from Draymond Green to almost be bulletin board material if they wanted to play it in the locker room pregame. Yet, weirdly, this is the kind of game that the Warriors do well in because the one thing about Memphis 
is that they're not always an offensive threat. It was easy for Sacramento the other night to simply remove them from the discussion early by just, you know, we're putting up a ton of points and you can't keep up with us. Now, granted, they didn't have Morant, but that's still a statement about two teams that are radically different than each other. Sacramento is willing to give you 120 if they can get 125, whereas Memphis prefers to win 102-98. So the question for the Warriors is, are you going to be defensively responsible and punish them for the things their their offensive inadequacy? And I don't know what they're going to do because you never know what they're going to do. With Memphis, you now have an idea of how they like to play. The Warriors, I don't know. I mean, maybe we know what how they like to play. They just don't do it often enough. So I think this is more of a it's more of a mystery than a rivalry because the Warriors need to establish at some point who they are and how they do it. And they haven't done that yet. Well, whatever they're going to try to establish tonight, they're going to do it without Andrew Wiggins. He has been ruled out of tonight's game with a non-COVID illness. So Andrew Wiggins has been struggling with that shot since returning. And he obviously won't be making any shots tonight because he ain't playing. Therefore, the price of admission just went up for the Warriors in their own building against the Memphis Grizzlies. So this should be a fun game tonight. It is a Warriors Wednesday here on 95.7 The Game, brought to you by Friedman's Appliance, a trusted name in the Bay Area since 1922. Friedman'sAppliance.com today is where you go to check out all of their goods, and we'll let you know one more time that the road to Glendale is brought to you by Marowest Credit Union, working for you today, tomorrow, and together when we come on back here to 95.7 The Game. Just a little bit from yesterday's Hall of Fame vote, and one or two things that we're going to sprinkle in before the end of this bad boy this afternoon. It is good to have you here. We've had a great show. Waiting to hear the end of it. Oh, are you ready for anger? We'll give you a little anger. I don't know if mine is that genuine. Ray's anger, if he expresses any, will be completely simulated for for the drama of the radio show. If we are talking here at 558, you'll see anger. There you go. Damon and Rattle, 95.7 The Game. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The Road to Glendale, brought to you by the SF Sheriff Office. Your future begins here. Visit sfsheriff.com to apply today. All of our guests who joined us today, Sal Palantonio and Herm Edwards, joined us courtesy of the Bud Light guest line. Bud Light, easy to drink, easy to enjoy. How about this guest list for tomorrow, Ray? Easy to enjoy or difficult? It starts at 3.30 with Jaws. Ron Jaworski is joining us at 3.30 tomorrow. He's not afraid to drink a pink squirrel. I've seen him do it at a bar. You? Yeah, I know. I've seen it. Uh, not, we won't get to see that, so it's of no relevance here, but you. Joe Fortenbaugh. Definitely you. 4.15 tomorrow. Joe said no radio this week. We have gotten to him he will be joining us you have been warned steve kerr five o'clock tomorrow to talk about whatever happens tonight with the warriors against the memphis grizzlies it should be fascinating we can tell you that coming up next on the game brought to you by fremont bank is warriors live with our pal john dickinson that is right around the corner and we'll have much more on the nfc championship game starting tomorrow at three o'clock I do, though, for a moment, Ray, have to return to and sort of amend a position that I took yesterday that I got no problem that Scott Rowland is in the Hall of Fame. I said he should have topped out in the Hall of Very, Very Good. I obviously wasn't that far away because Rowland only got in by five votes. That is the narrowest margin ever to elect a player to the Hall of Fame. He was very good. But if you and I were to sit down right now and write the story of Major League Baseball in our lifetimes, what do you bet that Scott Rowland's name wouldn't appear in the book not once? It wouldn't. But that's become less of a standard because the Baseball Hall of Fame and a percentage of its voters have decided that's no longer a standard once they decided that Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, and Kurt Schilling shouldn't be Hall of Famers. Once you decide that deportment matters more than deeds, what you're saying is there can only be a sanitized version of baseball history. 
and yet doesn't apply to Manny Ramirez or excuse me David Ortiz. Oh no, no I was just mentioning the three so that have been right. kicked have not been prevented from going in. And David Ortiz is more problematic because you know there was more links to him than there were to Bonds. That said, I'm not saying that Barry Bonds is clean on this, but I'm saying that if you want the Hall of Fame to be a place of history, history means the good and the bad. Right, and it's a Hall of Fame and museum, and Barry Bonds is all over that museum, and Pete Rose is in the museum. Now, Pete Rose was banned for a lifetime and should get into the Hall the year after he dies. I solved that problem. It's easy. Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame, but like you said, he is in that triumvirate of toxicity that owners, or excuse me, these voters are just too, it's just too much for them to deal with. And a triumvirate that will include, in my opinion, Alex Rodriguez, even though it shouldn't. Scott Rowland is in, but Jeff Kent is out. How? Be consistent, because Jeff Kent is not in the triumvirate of evil. Like you said, that will be a quartet once Alex Rodriguez officially joins it and isn't allowed in either. But how is Kent at 46% with the same electorate that just put Roland in? Roland only got in by five votes. Again, and here's what Kent was. A better player than Scott Roland. He was. Any way you want to chalk it up. Kent was a 290 hitter. Roland is a 280 hitter. Kent had 60 more homers. He had 500 more hits, and he did so in one fewer major league seasons. Now, Roland was a rookie of the year and a seven-time All-Star and an eight-time Gold Glove winner. And in 2006, he was part of a Cardinals team that won it all. And that matters. You know, you're on a World Series champion. It doesn't hurt your Hall of Fame resume, that is for sure. But he had just one top 10 finish in his 18-year-long career in terms of MVP balloting. Jeff Kent, 17 seasons, more hits, more homers, better slugging percentage, three top 10 MVP finishes around the one MVP he actually won and to me, one MVP is greater than a dozen gold gloves. I don't care how good Scott Rowland was historically with the glove. Jeff Kent was so much better in one season. He was the MVP of the league. A conversation that Rowland sniffed but once and wasn't even really involved in when it was all said and done. He's a five-time All-Star with more RBIs, a better slugging percentage, four silver sluggers to Roland's only one. Like, to me, if Roland is in, Jeff Kent should be damn well close to being in, and he's only tracking at 46%. Yeah. That makes no rational sense. You can't say Scott Roland is, but Jeff Kent isn't. And that's what they're saying. Because the numbers that more and more voters go by are not the traditional batting average home run number. They're not. They're looking at war. They're looking at OPS plus. They're looking at Jaws scores. And there, Roland is better than Kent. Now, I can't justify why Kent only got 46%, except that they played different positions. But I think everybody agrees that Roland got in on the strength of being one of the greatest defensive third basemen of all time, as well as 
a more than merely competent hitter. Well, and it's easier it, to find. It, how about this? It's easier to include anyone who is a really good third baseman into the greatest third baseman ever conversations because it is the least represented position in Major League Baseball well, and, in the Hall of Fame. Well, and I think that's something that moved, moved a number of voters as well. And Ken had many contemporaries who were outstanding second basemen in his time. That's also true. And the fact that he played on six teams... I think some guys that gets held against them because Kent could be kind of a prickly guy to teammates as well as just outside schlubs like reporters. That said, this is never an, an empirically true ballot. It's, you know, there was more momentum last year for Roland than there was for Kent. There was more momentum for Todd Helton this year than there was for Kent. It's if you're looking for the Hall of Fame to be an objective standard that you can measure against year in and year out, you're barking up the wrong tree. Jeff Kent never resonated with enough voters the way Roland did. I don't have an answer as to why. <laughs> Someone from the 408 on the Xfinity Mobile text line says, Hey, Scott Roland has one less truck washing accident. Okay. He's better, in, he's better than vehicular safety. He's, he's better at not slipping off wet bumpers. We'll it wasn't a wet bumper. <laughs> that was the cover story. You heard him say, "What? Falling off a horse? What was it?" I no, I I think it was it was a driving incident. I believe, but I could be wrong. But it wasn't washing the truck. Washing. I remember he would say "wash." Yeah, which is weird because he spent a lot of time in the Bay Area to lose that. Well, truthfully, he was born in Southern California, right? And he went to Cal, and then he he was up here. There's not a lot of people walking around Northern California. He, Hitting a hard R in the word wash. He became more countrified once he left the Mets. He did. Uh, LeBron James hit a career-high nine threes last night. He had 46-8-7. and seven, And that still wasn't enough. The Clippers win behind Kawhi and Paul George. LA's going to have a chance to look like one of the one or two best teams maybe in the West before it's all said and done. Meanwhile, the Lakers are just going to, what, be comfortable watching a lot of amazing basketball flow through LeBron James for absolutely not uh, they're as bad as they are, just three games behind at the five seed Clippers. Hachimura, it's 13 and five coming. They get Anthony Davis back tonight, too. Look out, Ray. Here come the Lakers. It won't take a lot for them to get in the argument. That's been the point all year. It's that the difference between five and 13 is next to nothing. Because uh, Dallas is not a magical team by any means, they're Luka and a bunch of you know, itinerant day laborers. Uh, the six is either Oklahoma City or Golden State or Phoenix or Minnesota or Utah at any given moment. You can't take the sixth place team, put it next to the 12th best team, and show me a difference. Because there is none. You know who was magic today? You. You've been sparkling. Personality, information, and good feelings since 3 o'clock. Thank you for being the best version of you today, Ray. Drop dead. Sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that, he's gone. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.